the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Mark Derricket. Hey, Mark. Great to have you back on the show. A few interesting bits of pieces going on in the tech world, right? Oh, there's a few. Yeah. Shall we, uh, shall we jump in and have a, have a bit of a chit-chat about some of those happenings? Why not? But first, where do you fit into the tech ecosphere? Well, interesting question. Interesting you should remind me that we should ask these questions from time to time. For myself, I am the founder of a small technology services firm called Gorilla Technology, and we look after uh, really broad aspects of... Strategic IT. Of strategic IT, and uh, running the day-to-day sort of infrastructure and operational aspects of technology for businesses as well so uh, it's fairly broad and that's I guess how I came about doing the New Zealand Tech podcast was uh, we look at and research all sorts of technologies for our customers pretty much every day and the idea of talking about it on a podcast seemed like a good idea and it certainly has become a good idea thank you well mostly because of you and all the others that like to come on the show and where do you fit into this technology world Mark? Uh, Local software developer, uh, open source hacker, doing a lot of Java and JVM related stuff, and also concert photographer. And a podcaster from way back and still doing it. Well, yes. From way before me, so uh, early days. Yep. But you you sound better. (laughs) Matter of opinion, I think, but... (laughs) Here we go. Anyway, uh, hopefully together we we uh, we sound good, and uh, yeah, people people will enjoy hearing the uh, the discussions. Hey, thanks everyone for listening in. We uh, we do appreciate you taking uh, uh, time out to uh, to catch up on uh, on our discussion. Uh, this week we've got a bunch of bunch of topics, a bit of local news, and bits and pieces from around the world. First up, I thought it was interesting that Samsung, who in most parts of the world are considered you know, right at the top of the stack alongside Apple in terms of uh, smartphone vendor have been bumped out of the top five in China. This was yeah. uh, quite a shock to me. Where actually in the top five were they in China before? Because I, I find it interesting to say in China, because like over here we, we think you've got iPhone or you've got a Galaxy. You don't have an Android device, you have a Galaxy. True, but true. I don't. But I don't actually know exactly what happens in China. It is that way for a lot of people. So I don't actually know where in the fifth, like the one, one th- two, three, or four, were they? Yeah, I'm not sure. Just uh, mm. the particular news item I'm uh, I'm referring to here. This is uh, information that's come through from uh, from IDC. So yeah, I'm not sure what their exact positioning was before, but uh, I think the the previous quarter uh, they were certainly in the in the top five in China. That has all changed. Right at the top of the list is Huawei. And this is curious to me because they're a brand that's been you know, growing, uh, growing slowly. So their market share has gone up um, in the last quarter of 2015. I guess that's calendar quarter. Hit 15.2%. Going back 12 months, they were at 9.7%. So that's a, that's a massive growth in their market share. Uh, Apple have also gone up over that period from 10.9% to 13.1%. But yeah, Huawei have moved into that uh, that that top spot now. Internationally, Huawei are uh, you know making a a huge effort to build themselves out into uh, into lots of market and uh, and grab market share, and they've certainly been starting to do that. I mean, they've gone from a brand that we virtually didn't talk about 
12 months ago certainly going going back two years there was very very little discussion but they've just kept pushing through with good products and of course they're so involved in providing the mobile networks for a lot of uh, a lot of mobile carriers as well and now that they've got the nexus 6 as a huawei device that's really pushing their name as a as a brand name that's in pretty much everyone's sphere of knowledge but yeah because of that association the google nexus 6 actually being a huawei handset i think that certainly helps them from a credibility perspective you know we've had who else has done uh, done those phones lg uh, in the past have done a number of the nexus phones for google yes but but seeing huawei up there uh, was a surprise to me now the other one and i always forget the pronunciation of this when i read it z-i-a-o-m-i it sort of looks like show me i think it is okay show me effectively <laughs> show me I, I kind okay. of yep you might be right so they're not they're not too far behind virtually the same they're 14.8% so uh, very close uh, they've gone up as well but that's a name that we hear quite a lot about as a brand that you know people might parallel import and so on but generally not well represented in you know in most countries outside of China but also uh, you know growing in market share and i guess you know it's the growth of uh, of these brands you've got another one there uh, Vivo grown from 8% to 10% and um, Oppo who have grown from 7.8 to 9.2 so just you know some growing uh, um, market shares there for these uh, uh, local brands which is is uh, is curious I think that will continue to happen and you know Apple have the huge differentiation because there's you know you you know no one else is making an iOS device uh, so they've got a, a, a pretty uh, a pretty coveted spot and the fact that they can control all those prices and margins so they do extremely well in whatever market they're operating in uh, whereas the others are all having to cut their prices and and margins in order to earn that market share and yeah it's it's pretty incredible in, in many regards that uh, yeah Samsung just aren't up there at all and it wasn't that long ago uh, Nokia was in that list as well and of course they've uh, they're they're off that uh, off that list now yeah. call me a cynic but is this a reason why Samsung may be having an ad blocker they're trying to prevent users from seeing these ads for these other devices aren't they <laughs> who who knows so yeah well what do you think about samsung offering uh, an ad blocker within their sort of built-in uh, browser on their smartphones who uses the stock browser uh i think yeah there are quite a few people will just will just use the browser that's that's right there in front of them um i don't know what the exact stats i haven't haven't seen uh that breakdown but yeah, if that's if that's the browser that's right in front of you, you know, a lot of us, yes, we're we're going to go and uh, you know pick our favourite browser, which uh, just happens to be uh, Chrome generally on Android. Well, more um, I was thinking like um, applications with like Facebook or any any other applications that you use now embed like the Chrome Web View or Chrome Custom Tabs. I think they are. I'm not exactly sure sure which is which, but rather than jumping you out to a separate browser. They just inline that experience. Right, sits inside whatever app you're already in. And I think that yeah. is still at the Chrome browser internally, effectively. Right, yep. So you might not ever actually see that stock browser to even care. Uh, I, th- I think most most people would be seeing stuff on the web. Most people would still use the web to a degree. Maybe it's just me. You, you all the time on yeah. Facebook, are you? All the time. <laughs> wow. 
Um, get back to work, uh, Mark. Um, yeah. So, I mean, games that have ads, they're not in the browser, so you're, you're only going to be getting rid of some ads. So I'm not entirely sure what the purpose of it would be. And a lot of people are going, well, we actually have ads to supplement the revenue. This is why we're giving you free applications as opposed to being like the Apple Store where it's probably more paid apps. And I, mm, mm. I guess from uh, from Samsung's perspective, Apple are doing it. They're allow- allowing you to uh, enable ad blockers. Um, so if that's the case on the iPhone, they want to be able to compete from that perspective. So they need, you know, they need to be, uh, you know, uh, competing or at, at a feature level, if that's uh, that's you know something that frustrates people, and you know certainly in some cases cutting out the unnecessary bits and pieces out of a page can dramatically speed it up, as True. you know as well as saving you the associated data and and so on. So yeah, I think there's um, it's it's reasonably understandable why that makes sense for uh, for them. I also think, and I'm not entirely sure. I remember reading on the Android Reddit subreddit, subreddit that um. A, there was a lot of discussion over what ad block are you, are you going to use now that something and I believe Adblock Plus recently got purchased by someone else and it kind of either has not not malware but it's not as nice on your system as it used to be so a lot of people were looking for alternate ad blockers so whether Samsung stepping up to the plate and giving their own one is in response to that I'm not entirely sure. Mm, mm. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Um, now, also talking about mobile phones, there's been a bunch of articles going around the web uh, saying Windows Phone is dead. Now, was it ever alive? Well, there's a few perspectives on that. You know, a they never had a huge market share. Uh, B their I don't know, a small reboot of sorts with Windows Phone as it becomes Windows 10 Mobile, uh, although that's been a little bit delayed unless you bought one of their Lumia uh, 950 or 950XL uh, handsets. Um, So, yeah, there's a few things that have been floating around on that, but what triggered it is the sales of the the Lumia phones have uh, dropped by, I think, from 57% from what they were uh, in the same, you know, last um, the last quarter of um, 2014, so that uh, that last three months of 2014, compared to where they've landed in the last three months of 2015, uh, that's a pretty major, uh, pretty major drop. So um, there, there is certainly some people sort of scratching their heads, wondering what's happened. You can understand some people have been waiting for the new. You know, hey, there's these new Windows 10 phones coming out. We we like the platform, but we'll wait for the new phones, and we haven't seen many of those yet, other than this Lumia 950 and 950 XL. The lower cost ones certainly haven't arrived here. What do you think? Is it is it going to stick around? I don't know. I mean, I was just actually thinking, is like, I was thinking, how many people do I know that actually have Microsoft phones? And I actually know a few, mm. but I, I I don't remember specific pe- people it's like i just remember being at quite quite a few events and people using phones and going wow you've got a windows phone huh. so i do see them around but not that often and i th- i think the mm, what was what was i gonna think um what, what do you what do you think about the uh the rumor that they're going to move to a surface phone product this year does that make 
that makes sense. I mean, they've moved to... That would make more sense, but that in itself will possibly hurt them if they come out with a Windows 10 with mobile phone, and then in four months' time they go, oh, by the way, that's all dead. Here's your new Surface. Like what? Well, it's just a, that's just a hardware thing. They'll always have new, you know, new phones coming out. But if they come out with something that's actually really stylish, because the Lumia 950 and 950 XL are both really good, capable phones, uh, but they just don't look much. You know, technically they've got great cameras, a good storage, they're fast. Uh, you know, they don't have the app catalog that we're used to on other platforms. But that's the that's the piece where Microsoft are pushing. You know, I think very hard in terms of, hey, you write an app for Windows 10, which, you know, lots of people are writing Windows apps these days, ah, and it will run on the phone with a, you know, a pretty minor effort. Plus, we've got the tools to make it very easy for you to uh, move across your iOS app. So I think there's there's still a chance for Microsoft in there to, uh, you know, to redeem themselves a little bit and to bump up the market share. But at the moment, it's uh, it's been you know continuing on a downward trajectory really for uh, for some time, and fifty seven percent drop from one uh, one period to the to the next a year later certainly doesn't doesn't look like there's much confidence. Or that, and how they're pushing a lot of their iOS and Android applications and saying, "Hey, we actually want things to run everywhere." That could be easily misconstrued to say, "Well, we know our platform's dying, so we want to push you to." use our services on these other devices. And well, it's, and it's yeah. the services that actually matter, the Office 365, the Microsoft Word Online, and trying to lock you into the services as opposed to using Apple Word or Pages or the iCloud or Apple Music, Google Music. We want Microsoft Music. Which I, Do they even have a music service anymore? Groove, I think it's called. Ah, Groovy. They keep changing the name of it, which, which you know, probably I don't know whether it uh, it helps them or not. I'm, I'm guessing not, but uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I imagine they've decided it, it must because they rebranded it from Xbox uh, Music. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a bit of a hard one. I think it's very smart that they're making all their bits and pieces available across every platform, so it doesn't matter whether you use a Windows phone anymore. And and to a degree, the more they do that the more people that may have been fans of Windows phones because they were more involved in the Microsoft ecosystem will move across to other platforms because they can just get they can get as good uh, as an experience on the Microsoft things that uh, that they're interested in on those other platforms and yeah not too not too not too much downside I mean, Microsoft themselves are really confusing a lot of people currently with the the kind of their renewed focus on open source open sourcing .NET, .NET Core and all, all this kind of stuff and saying hey .NET now works perfectly on Linux and Mac and stuff and a lot of people are confused about saying well, are they going to do a bait and switch on us at some point? Is this actually a legitimate change in direction? How is that going to affect Windows Phone? Will that affect Windows Phone? Will that actually be a, a benefit to us? And I think possibly maybe in four or five months we might see some more of that come through and whether there's a bit more cohesive opinion over their direction of what that's going to actually happen on the devices whether there's going to be a nice open source solution of apps on the phone and yeah I think it's all kind of up in the air currently yeah I think it I mean it takes a long time to convince people of a of any sort of change in direction though Microsoft have been making uh you know steps 
in the open source and Linux direction for quite a long time, and you know, in varying ways in terms of the, you know partnerships with Red Hat to you know support Linux, and you know, some of these things have been around now for years and years. So they their their direction does seem uh, reasonably clear. That said, if something doesn't work for them, I think they're uh, more open than ever ever to say no. That hadn't this hasn't worked out. We're moving on. We're going in a slightly different direction. So uh, yeah, you have to be you have to be cautious. Um, but there are you know there are certainly other companies that uh, yeah ditch ditch products and make new decisions too, right? So there's nothing unique about that. No. Um, yeah, looking a bit closer to home, um, icons. Now they're really if you if you think about uh, internet providers in New Zealand. They must be you know, virtually the longest-running internet provider uh, in New Zealand. They were, you know, one of the earlier uh, providers. Been around for what about 23 years. They haven't always been known as Icons. They were Icons in the early days, the internet company of New Zealand. Uh, I think it stood for yep. uh, back in the day. And uh, Asia Online was another name that they were known as. But uh, they've been they've been Icons uh, recently. Uh, they're uh, they're being acquired and uh, they will become a part of Plan B. Well, effective immediately, uh, but they're still going to be known as icons for the the, uh, the immediate future. future yeah. yeah, that just kind of came out of left field. I was just reading the news this morning. I was like, whoa, icons have been sold, and but it's not the first time that they've been sold. So, uh, <laughs> well, no. And ironically, I, I hadn't actually heard of Plan B before, and it was like. Wow, who 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 the hell is the, are these guys? I'm like, oh, okay, they've actually been around for a while themselves. Yeah, they have been. I've probably uh, dealt with them, uh, you know, in varying forms over the last ooh, more than ten years, maybe uh, maybe fifteen. Um, yeah. So they, they, they've been around for quite a while, and you know, focused predominantly on business continuity services. Now, as we move into a more uh, cloud-oriented world. Some of those opportunities that they had initially have changed. Uh, they had things such as services where, well, if you you know something happens to your building, your premises, that they could get you back up and running quick. As you know, down to the point of even having temporary offices you could go and work from, temporary phone systems, uh, you know, technology infrastructure, and so on, being able to re- restore your backup tapes, get your systems back up and running. Now, some of that stuff is is less relevant now and. You know, people, organizations have um, alternate mo- you know, methods of how they would operate in those circumstances down to, well, we'll put everyone on a laptop and they can go and work from home. Uh, and they use Office 365, so we don't have servers. And, yeah, more and more systems are in the, are in the cloud or they're, uh, you know, replicated to other locations without a need for a plan B uh, to re- recover too. Um, so I think, you know, part of their work has been to, Diversify as an organisation, and uh, yeah, I don't, this isn't their first acquisition. I believe um, they started started to move into voice over IP last year. Uh, yeah, they 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 did make some acquisitions last year. Um, I haven't dived into all the uh, all the details on exactly what those those products were from um, from their previous acquisitions, but um, yeah, it does seem they're they're moving into sort of a range of. Um, telecommunications and, and hosted infrastructure services so yeah that diversification is is important and um, yeah I think you know good luck to them and uh, good to see icons continuing on uh, yeah I would imagine icons 
Plan B, there, there's, uh, it makes sense for them to keep separate brands there, uh, but I'm sure they'll be able to uh, yep. leverage something out of uh, out of the, the ownership. Kind of timely with, uh, I think there was a discussion today on private versus public clouds in New Zealand and having buying icons and diversifying into the infrastructure kind of played quite timely into that and yeah, I don't. I don't know how this one's going to uh, going to work out longer term. But yeah, you know, the fact that Icons has been, uh, you know, running now for, uh, whew, um, you know, such a, such a long time. You know, well well over uh, well over twenty years. Um, yeah, I would I would think this uh, is probably bodes well for them. So uh, yeah, let, let's hope they've got a good future ahead. Definitely. Now I know you love your gadgets and your toys, so I found. A drone that not only flies but swims. Yeah, that sounds really cool to me. Um, now, I had a little bit of a look online if you sent through the details, but um, run run people through what what this is about. It's I, I'm, I'm not sure. It how, looks like a research project, right? It's it not, looks it's like not a research project. That you can go and buy yeah. in a store right now. Yeah, it's uh, it looks like your run of the mill drone. It's a little bit possibly a little bit bigger. Uh, four rotors just flying around, and you just think, oh, okay, it's just a drone video. That's kind of cool. Hold on, they're flying over a lake or an in, in, inside swimming pool in this particular case, and then it just drops into the water, and then goes and in, float on the water, and goes into a kind of a float mode where it's just driving around on the water surface. And it's like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. Oh, wait, he's now just dived under the water, and then as he goes under the water you see that the rotor blades kind of rotate from the top to the front of the drone and kind of goes into a submersible kind of a submarine mode. Yeah. And then you're driving awesome. driving around underwater and then goes back to the surface and flies off. I love it. It look, looks really cool. They're calling it the Loon Copter uh, and it's been developed by Oakland University's Embedded Systems Research Laboratory. Uh, this, that's Oakland, as in Oakland, California, I presume, not Auckland, because uh, I know when I'm in the in the US and I say Auckland, they think I mean Oakland. Um, so I'll just clarify the reverse now. I'm in New Zealand, uh, but yeah, it look looks pretty cool. Um, well, I, I could see immediate kind of uh, usages for this kind of technology. I could see is in like disaster areas where a building has collapsed and some of it's submerged, and you want to go under the water, get into this building, and then fly around to try and find people, or that also has military implications. Um, I imagine there'd be all sorts of uses. My immediate thought was for fishing. This would be perfect, you know, drop one off your boat, it can go for a little bit of a nosy around. And drive drive into the fish. Well, maybe you can hang a... um, uh, uh, It's going to be quite loud. Hang a um, a line off the bottom of the... uh, the drone and um, you know then it can uh, lift it up out of the water for you and uh, you, out goes your net and you can see the whole ex- whole thing as it's happening as well this is going to be great well, the problem with fishing is that it takes a long time how long's the battery life on this thing i don't know but underwater you're going to have a lot of drag so it's probably going to wear that battery down however what do you reckon five or ten minutes possibly yeah. however i was thinking with that kind of float mode wouldn't you just go into a, a dormant float stage on the surface, have your line just dropping down, and automatically have the sensor detectors, oh, we've got a bite. It starts pulling, we've caught a fish, let's just fly it out right now. 
Yeah, I mean, you've got to have some way of being able to interact with it, um, so that it, you know it's a it's a bit of fun. Yeah. And you definitely, but I think it'd be really cool having that camera being able to so you can see what's happening when the when the fish are coming onto your hook. A little bit like on one of those fishing shows, but actually, it's uh, that's how you that's how you're doing it. I was just thinking you could combine it with the Roomba software. So once it's got a fish, it'll fly off back to home base, the net, drop the fish in, and then come back and start fishing in a different place. Oh, okay. <laughs> That would yep. be so awesome. And we'll remember all the best fishing spots so it can go back there and get some more fish. It might Does be- that mean you would do, you could do your fishing from, from home? So rather early morning we think, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to go out on the water today. Um, you could actually mm-hmm. you go out on the water when it suits you, when the weather's right, but you can send the, uh, send the drone out to actually go and uh, you know, pick up the fish and you can just check from your phone if it's one of those days where you really needed to you know, suit the tides and so on. It would have been a 5 a.m. start. You could actually just... You know, stay in bed while it catches the fish. You might need to check the bylaws to see whether you're allowed to fly from your place to where the water is. Oh, yes, we've got a few challenges around that yes. in, uh, in New Zealand and other parts of the world. Uh, at least we don't have to register to have a drone, as in the US you now have to register. And the period really? has run out for free registration, so you have to pay to register. It's like being a gun owner. You have to be all registered up now. And how much are they charging for this wonderful registration? Oh, not sure. Not sure about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, worth being aware of. If you're someone that likes to uh, pack your drone and your suitcase when you're uh, travelling, uh, be very careful in the US uh, because you you might get um, locked up somewhere. So word to the wise. All right. Um, now other other topics. Police in Japan are apparently moving to take. 3D mug shots. Now, this isn't entirely foreign when you think about it, because we're, you know, we're we're starting to, well, we're getting used to there being cameras and so on. Uh, when we go through customs at the airports, um, the idea of of capturing 3D, you know, information, uh, as for instance, things like the um, uh, Microsoft, you know, Surface uh, products do in terms of authenticating you. In terms of catching that data, it makes a lot of sense, and we're already used to so much in terms of biometrics with uh, your fingerprint scans and the like. Um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem um, like a silly idea at all. Makes sense. What do you think? Definitely, will make um, facial recognition quite easy, a lot easier once you've got that three D model where you can just like map it into any any direction of footage that you've captured. Because as people are walking around, they're like looking down, looking up, trying to hide their face or whatever. And that's often kind of hard to actually, when you've only got like those two degree um, front on, side on kind of photos. Yeah, 2D. 2D images. You don't really have enough information to capture and kind of rotate and go, oh, well, actually, if they're on this angle, squinched up, yes, we can find that and... One, yeah, the one, technology may still have a way to go. For instance, uh, you know, with the Windows Hello capabilities, which which the Surface products use, um, if that usually does a reasonable job of um, of unlocking my device for me when I'm in front of it, but other times it'll take a little while or it won't figure it out. Then I tried uh, when my glasses were off, and I had no idea that it was the same person. So I had to go through and add in these, you know, a range of scans of me with glasses off. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the the technology's not uh, you know maybe as flexible as it could be. But then again, you've got other aspects of it where 
the technology is good enough to be able to tell between identical twins and not uh, uh, let you know one identical twin in versus mm. the other. So there's some very very cool stuff there, but I'm I'm sure this will just help them with accuracy. Also helps in those sort of scenarios of uh, putting cameras all over the place, and maybe will encourage more and more of that sort of just random scanning people some of that scary futuristic uh stuff where the uh oh yes the computer saw you doing this so now we're going to uh you know catch you based on that so i don't know what that uh what that part of um law enforcement will look like in the future but uh, well, i'm hoping if, if it's you've not got to as scary as some uh, science fiction stuff would suggest well, if you've got nothing to hide you've got nothing to fear right um, I'm not sure. Have you been watching uh, the uh, Making a Murderer? No, I haven't. Netflix? I haven't got around to watching that yet. Okay, and I don't necessarily. Some, some, <laughs> some, sometimes uh, law enforcement gets it wrong. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I don't necessarily agree with it. You've got nothing to hide. You've got nothing to fear. There I, is the whole rights, and I knew that. Yes. <laughs> um, now a a headline. Uh, that I saw that um, you know was designed to catch the attention said Microsoft sinks to new depths uh, it went on to say with underwater data center experiment um, so yeah interestingly Microsoft are, uh, are testing out putting servers underwater and you know, of course with uh, with data centers where a lot of servers where, where you know servers tend to uh, reside uh, often a, well Typically, a, a pretty large chunk of the uh, the power relates to keeping them cool, and so the idea of being able to put them underwater um, makes some um, makes some sense to uh, to test out. Well, that's what I guess they've decided. So they're apparently doing an experiment, and and the yeah thought is they'll uh, they'll have these things underwater for a few months, and then they're going to pull them out and um, see you know see how they've uh, survived. Sounds kind of cool, actually. So, kind of like Rotorua, we can now have the San Francisco Thermal Park. Explain. Well, if, if all the servers are underwater, they're going to be generating heat. So oh, now you've got, okay. Now you've got heated swimming pools so and <laughs> a thermal park where you can swim in warm water. Yeah, 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 yeah. It could be a possibility. But you don't want the water to warm up, though, because then your servers will warm up. I guess you have to pipe well, the water be, past That would be the runoff water. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Yep, all right, yeah. all right. Um, well, I wonder if anyone will do that in New Zealand. I'm guessing not in the short term. The, uh, the, the, the information sort of suggested it would make sense for them to put it uh, next to something that's generating uh, power from waves, so they're basically able to draw, you know, straight off those, those machines um, that, that you know, are picking up their power based on uh, tidal movements and so on. It would also be useful for actually reclaiming some land space in that's normally just service space for actual offices or things and you've got all this land that's kind of underwater in the in the ocean that's not really been used well i wouldn't mind having an office under there i think that'd be much better use of it than putting servers down there you could create a cool underwater room get to see all the fish that'd be fantastic a lair yeah yeah the uh, podcasts new zealand lair yeah yeah it's uh has a bit of a ring to it. Uh, now, we talked about... Uh, well, Microsoft had a bit of attention today. Um, the other thing that's come up... This was an article I came across in the register. And the title is Microsoft. Yes, we are going to kill off enterprise agreements. Now, 
these are the licensing agreements that are the um, bane of many organisation or people's uh, lives that work with uh, technology and uh, having to license software. And they're not going to a subscription model across the board, are they? All it, I think there, there's a change, and apparently the focus is an overhaul of um, how licensing works for organisations between 250 and 500 uh, users, or, or seats as they like to call them. Um, so, yeah, from what I from what I can see, it's not a uh, it's not going to be a complete uh, you know throw it all out. Um, but they are going through a bit of a a bit of a refresh at the moment, and. Uh, um, we will, yeah, we will, we will see how that um, how that lies over over time. But um, yeah, for some people, I'm sure they'll be hoping that it gets a whole lot easier because some of these uh, software licensing uh, management things can be uh, uh, not so much fun. Although in New Zealand, there's a lot of companies who would probably fall under that 250 headcount that it just wouldn't affect them. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, the uh, the model has changed a lot of people are you know, paying for their software through the likes of an Office 365 subscription um, and you know, other equivalent types of things, you know, cloud services that are much more on a uh, subscription basis. So, yep, it's a bit of a different move to uh, more monthly type payments and so on in, in some cases. Now, uh, I think that pretty much brings us to the end for this week. So, um, I think so. Yeah. Hey, Thanks very much for coming in. Now, where do people find you online, Mark? Uh, you can find me on Twitter on, at Talios or Google Plus, just at uh, plus Mark Derricket, or Facebook, I think, is just M Derricket, or, yeah. Excellent. Yep. That's good. That's good. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Paul Spain. If you are looking for an organisation to help with your technology uh, services, then uh, Gorilla Technology is the place to come. Uh, you can visit our website and uh, and drop me a line uh, there. And if you are curious about podcasts and getting into podcasting, or you think somebody in your organisation should be uh, uh, doing that in terms of getting uh, from a marketing perspective, uh, etc then uh, you should be going to asiapacificpodcastconference.com. Uh, time is just about out to, uh, to register for the Asia Pacific Podcast Conference. It comes to Auckland 12th and the 13th of February. We've got a pretty incredible uh, lineup of, uh, of speakers from the US, Australia and New Zealand over, uh, over a couple of days there. You can you know, register for uh, either day or, uh, or both days. Um, so that should be uh, quite a bit of fun all right well that's us for this episode thanks everyone for tuning in we will catch you again next week on the new zealand tech podcast see ya see ya the new zealand tech podcast brought to you by gorilla technology proactive and strategic it